0: Hi, I'm Dan Slevin, sitting in for Simon Morris. This week on At the Movies, the origin story of a magical musical confectionery maker. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? I don't know. I've never had any. You've never had chocolate? A long-awaited sequel to a foul animated classic. Last time we broke out of a chicken farm. Well, this time, we're breaking in. And a struggling sculptor finds that life keeps getting in the way of her work. Easy on the cheese. What do you mean? It's for everyone. I don't want to run out. Cheese is out on the table. One of the films I had to choose from this week is directed by John Woo. Ooh, I said, he's been gone a long time. The director of action classics like Hard Boiled and Face Off is back with a Christmas themed revenge thriller called Silent Night. Then it struck me. The conceit for this film is that the protagonist, played by Joel Kinneman from Apple TV's For All Mankind, takes a bullet in the Adam's apple early on, and as a result, There's no dialogue to speak of throughout the film. It all sounds rather a lot like this. Even the most patient among you won't be able to put up with that for very long. Then I actually saw the film and it turns out to be a nasty piece of work. Silent Night is crypto-fascist vigilante fantasy with broadly racist overtones, so I didn't feel too bad about kicking it to the curb. But that does mean that we had to go online for a couple of our topics this week. Cinemas are currently in holding mode, waiting for the big bang of Boxing Day. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? I don't know. I've never had any. You've never had chocolate? Still, no. Well, lucky for you, Noodle, I have a selection of the world's finest ingredients right here in my travel factory. Whoa. Where to begin? That's the question. I know. Silver linings. Made of condensed thunderclouds and liquid sunlight. Did you always want to make chocolate? No. Back when I was your age, I wanted to be a magician. Getting a head start on the holiday competition is Paul King's Wonka, a prequel or origin story for the famous magical chocolatier Willy Wonka, previously essayed on screen by an unforgettable Gene Wilder and a totally forgettable Johnny Depp. From a distance, the existence of Wonka sounds like the kind of naked, franchise-loving, IP-exploiting cash grab that studio bean counters just love. It's thanks, then, to writer-director King and screenplay collaborator Simon Farnaby that Wonka transcends whatever limited expectations the suits might have had and is genuinely good-hearted, wholesome holiday entertainment. King, as we know from two outstanding and beloved Paddington films, knows how to delight an audience, which should also please the accounting department of Village Roadshow, Heyday, and Warner Brothers. Timothy Chalamet is the young Willie, an orphan with all the narrative baggage that brings, fresh from seven years travelling the world on a rusty steamship, determined to make his fortune as a chocolatier. Arriving in an unnamed European city, it looks like a mix of Paris, Vienna, Edinburgh, Oxford and Lyme Regis, he soon discovers that breaking into the biz is not just a matter of talent. Capitalist cartel behaviour means that the Gallery Gourmet is a closed shop to the likes of him. It turns out that a spoonful of sugar doesn't just help the medicine go down, it greatly assists with your digestion of classical Marxist dialectic too. We've got just the thing for you, the entrepreneurial package. Now the room is one sovereign a night, but you don't have to pay till six tomorrow. Does that give you enough time to earn a few pennies? More than enough, Mr Scrubby. Thank you. Oh, it's the least I can do for a stranger in need. Now, sign here and we're all done. Alrighty. Read the small print. What? Thank you, Noodle, that'll do. Oh. What'd you say? Who's that in? The girl. What girl? That girl. It sounded like read the small print and there does seem to be a lot of it. Oh. 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 keeps someone coming? Yeah, you don't want to listen to Noodle, Mr Wonka. She's damaged. She was dropped down the laundry chute as a bab, and I took her in at the goodness of my heart, and I've done my best, Mr Wonka. Honest I have. But she's left with a suspicious nature. She sees conspiracy everywhere. Poor girl. I know. These are just your standard T's and C's, but you're welcome to take a look if you want. Wonka foolishly signs a contract in exchange for a night's lodging that bonds him to the town laundry run by a Dickensian Olivia Colman for 30 years. Only his candy innovations, his newfound friends in the laundry and an irritable little orange man played with vim by Hugh Grant can save him. I liked that the filmmakers opted to use Dahl's cartel from the original Chocolate Factory book, Slugworth, Prodnose, gruber They're therefore not permanently vanquished, but end up with their fortunes greatly diminished and their reputations in tatters. Like everyone in the film, Patterson Joseph, Matt Lucas and Matthew Bainton respectively do sterling service, but from a performance point of view, I want to single out screenwriter Simon Farnaby, who, once again in a King film, has a delightful cameo as a security guard. That's one for the Paddington fans there, I think. The craft is first-rate. Production designed by Nathan Crowley, costumes by Lindy Hemming. It's so nice when the British film industry shows off the amazing depth of its talent on something with a decent budget. It's not just chocolate, is it? There's marshmallow. That's right. Harvested from the Mallow Marshes of Peru. And caramel. But but it's salted? with the bittersweet tears of a Russian clown. Mm. you what is it? Surely not. Cherry. Cherry picked by the pick of the cherry pickers from the Imperial Gardens in Japan. Mm. Well, Mr. Wonka, I've been in this business a very long time, and I can safely say that of all the chocolate I have ever tasted, this is without doubt the absolute 100% worst. <laughs> There we have it, ladies and gentlemen. An endorsement from Mr. S- Wait, the worst? We three are the fiercest of rivals, and yet we agree on one thing a good chocolate should be simple, simple, plain, uncomplicated. Where is this, with all its bells and whistles? Well, it's just weird. I'm gonna hate what happens next. I remain largely immune to the charms of Monsieur Chalamet, but off the top of my head I can't think of anyone better for this version of the character. He's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, chasing his dream rather than looking to hand it over. The new songs from The Divine Comedy's Neil Hannon are excellent, even if they don't yet send a shiver down your spine, like Bricus and Newley's Pure Imagination from the 1971 Wilder version which haunts this film until it gets a perfect run-out near the end. Yes, Wonka is a musical, and it's not one of those newfangled hip-hop or jukebox musicals either. This one has the West End and Broadway, and your local musical theatre society, in its DNA. Oliver, Annie, Sweeney Todd, and possibly even Schmigadoon are all touchstones – It also manages to retain its necessary naughty Dahlishness, which could easily have been watered down. There's a running fat joke that Dahl would relish, even if we're not supposed to laugh at those now. My only real qualm with the film is that Wonka fails to bridge the character gap between this open-hearted Willie, who believes in his mother's message that who you share it with is more important than the chocolate itself, to the reclusive, cynical, mischievous misanthrope played by Wilder. That might mean we're in for a sequel, but I suspect that story is a much darker one than audiences are ready for. I will have you know that I am a perfectly respectable size for an Umpa Loompa. Uh, an what now? In fact, in Loompa I am regarded as something of a whopper. They call me lofty. So I will thank you to stop gawping at me as though I was something unpleasant you'd found in your handkerchief. I find it uncomfortable and, frankly, rude. Um, sorry. Now let me out of here. You have absolutely no right to go around embottling innocent strangers. Innocent? Hold on, you've been stealing from me for years. Well, you've started it. Me? You stole our cocoa beans. What are you talking about? Wonka is rated PG and is the early Christmas front-runner in multiplexes all over Aotearoa now. We mustn't panic. No, no no, no panicking. It's a perfect time to panic. The enemy has the offer. We must keep our heads. Where shall we keep them? I'm trying to think here. Ginger, what do you say? I say, last time we broke out of a chicken farm, well, this time, we're breaking in. I was having a discussion with a pal the other day about long gaps between sequels. What is the longest? Is it the 19 years between Bogdanovich's The Last Picture Show in 1971 and Texasville? The 35 years that we had to wait for Blade Runner 2049 must be right up there. Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick was 36 years. But the longest turns out to be the 64 years we had to wait after Bambi in 1942 for Bambi 2 in 2006. That doesn't sound like Disney at all to leave dollars on the table for that long. But credit where it's due, a 23 year wait for an extension to the great escape story of Chicken Run is right up there. The original is still the highest-grossing stop-motion animated feature in history, but it wasn't enough to get DreamWorks to stop making eyes at Shrek, which came out around the same time and got three sequels in very short order. Aardman Studios had to sit on their clay-covered hands for quite a while. They got involved in digital animation with Flushed Away and Arthur Christmas and made a slightly forgettable pirate film called The Pirates. And then turned their skills to delighting young and old with Sean the Sheep. The feisty fowl of Chicken Run went on the back burner, as it were, not helped by an actual fire that destroyed all of the original models, sets, and moulds. Anyway, thanks to Netflix, they're back with a 75% different cast of voices, but the same goofy chickenness. A bonnie we had. Oh, she's got her father's spindly little legs. We need to build them up, what what? When I was in the RAF, we did fifty squats before breakfast. Oh that's gone. I made her a bicycle. Really? hmm Oh! You knitted one! What a lovely thought. Thank you, Babs. You know, I'd say our little island paradise just got a little more paradisier. Rocky, no longer voiced by Mel Gibson, but now played by Shazam's Zachary Levy, and Ginger, Tandiwe Newton instead of Julia Sawala, have escaped the cruel chicken farm of Miranda Richardson's Militia Tweedy and found sanctuary and a family. Their independent teenager Molly, voiced by Bella Ramsey from The Last of Us, wants to know what's on the other side of the water but her parents know all the dangers that are out there. I know this story's been told a thousand times this year, but if you're only 11, you might not have seen all of them, so I'm going to give this film a pass for unoriginality just this once. Of course, Molly breaks the rules and is captured by a new kind of chicken farm, one that believes that happy brainwashed chickens taste better than terrified and traumatised ones. If Wonka was Marxism by stealth, then chicken run Dawn of the Nugget is full-on vegan propaganda, and parents should be prepared. I must confess that I actually got a little hungry there for a bit. We've spoken about this, Molly. There's nothing over there for us. What about the stuff Uncle Nick and Fetch bring? Isn't that for us? Hey, what's up, gent? Rocky! Molly's asking about going off the island... Oh, right. Oh, right. Hey, Molly, do you want to see the world's coolest invention? Mm. Okay. What is it, Dad? Only the answer to all of life's problems. Popcorn. The community bands together to rescue Molly and Rocky, it's a long story, but the final victory requires a bit too much of a violent end rather than the science we were promised earlier on. That's a writing problem that hasn't been solved, or a director wanting to prioritise action over cleverness. Either way, it doesn't quite work for me. So this iteration of Chicken Run isn't Ardman's best work. The animation and design remain first-rate. Those craftspeople are magicians, truly but the script by Kerry Kirkpatrick, John O'Farrell and Rachel Tunnard falls well short of what we're used to. It doesn't have the kind of joke density that really fills you up as an audience, and because of that it doesn't have the ability to reach all ages either. Instead of recommending it as a full-on four-quadrant family film, I'm forced to concede that this one is going to succeed for the younger demographic rather than the older, the audience that hasn't heard all of these tired jokes before. There is one great gag, worthy of any Ardman, about an iPad, but it really is a blink-and-you'll-miss-it sort of thing. One of the bonuses of having the film debut on Netflix as opposed to theatres is that there is a making-of documentary already online, which is super interesting to watch straight after the feature. And that the youngest viewers will be able to go back and watch it again straight away, an option that is out of reach of most cinema audiences these days. We can do this, everyone. Bunty... With your strength, my love, we can move mountains. Mac, you're the brains. Babs, you're our... wool specialist. Nick and Fetch, you're the sneakiest little toe rags this side of the Dales. Oh, you're too kind. (laughs) Flatterer. And Fowler, with your wisdom and vigilance. Fowler? Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, is rated PG for Scary Scenes and is streaming now on Netflix. I shouldn't even be here right now. I've got so much to do. I do too, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do without hot water. Lizzie, I told you you can use my shower. I want my own water working. My show's open on Friday. I'll be free to deal with it after that. I have a show too, you know, I'm just, you're not the only one with a deadline. Things have changed in the movie business, thanks to COVID, but also other pressures. And as we approach the end of the year, I quite like to take a look at some of those changes. Firstly, far fewer films are being released to cinemas than there were in the last decade. And those that are being released are much closer to being sure bets than they ever were before big star or franchise-driven blockbusters, specialised releases like Beyonce or Taylor Swift, festivals where titles might only get a couple of screenings at a time that's actually convenient for you, and the increasing number of day-and-date international releases for our Asian communities. That's an audience that is still going to the pictures in great numbers, but isn't being served very well by At The Movies, I think. I know that I don't have the cultural context to do those films justice. So, if more films are being made than ever before, but are sidelining cinemas, where are they showing up? The all-you-can-eat buffet options at the streaming services are one option, but as we all know by now, I think, a streaming service is a great place to go if you're happy to watch anything, but it's usually pretty terrible if you're looking for something specific. This is where... Digital rental comes in, or rather comes back in. It's not that long ago that straight-to-video was a kiss of death for a film, a sign that it couldn't hack it in the real world of theatrical exhibition. Now it's the opposite – the streamers are focusing on their own versions of blockbusters and cinemas are using festivals to trial run their smaller titles, meaning that the real cream is now landing on the likes of Arovision, Academy On Demand and Apple's iTunes rental store. This brings its own issues. The friction of handing over a credit card for another film when you know that you're probably already paying for Netflix, Apple and Disney. You only get 24 hours to watch a film when a streamer has it forever. Until one day it doesn't. And how do you find out about new rentals? It's not like browsing the video store was in the old days. But the gold is now available to rent. Trust me on this. And Exhibit A is Kelly Reichardt's latest film, Showing Up, which played this year's film festival but subsequently bypassed cinemas for the world of rental. If you see anything you like, that you want, by all means, just take it. You should make more like this. I'm enjoying my retirement. I don't believe you. Well, it's true. Well, you should do it anyway. Ah, my days are full. I get up, I do a little of this, a little of that, and before you know it, it's time to watch TV again. Showing Up is Reichardt's fourth collaboration with the gifted actress Michelle Williams, and it is, to my mind, the most important actor-director relationship we have, better than DiCaprio and Scorsese. Williams plays Lizzie, a sculptor living in Portland, Oregon, surviving thanks to a dead-end job gifted to her by her mother, who runs the local art school that she graduated from. And she's subletting a space from an artist friend, played by Hong Chao. Reichardt's films are hugely human, even when they are painted on a tiny, intimate canvas, and showing up as another great example. Scenes are full of drama that simply don't explode because real life doesn't work like that. Lizzie is preparing for an exhibition of her latest work, but she is constantly distracted by the lack of hot water in her flat, her dad being taken advantage of by couch-surfing hippies, Her brother's incipient mental illness, and a pigeon with a broken wing that she feels responsible for. Well, her cat did it, so she's not entirely wrong there. What are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing? I'm making a piece. It's a very major piece. Very major. I didn't know you were into earth work. Showing up is about being an artist and how inexplicable that impulse can be, even to yourself. That the compulsion to make art isn't a sign of mental illness per se, but that it is on a kind of delusional spectrum. At one point, the character Eric, played by Andre Benjamin from Outcast, talks for a snippet about the flow of creativity and how it takes him over. Lizzie, unfortunately, finds it hard to reach that state because she's too frustrated by the real world. Michelle Williams is a remarkable actress, getting better with every performance and every year. With Reichardt, she has the perfect foil, someone who wants to tell stories and illuminate character through the minimalist onion-skin layers that a great actor can offer you. If you've seen any Kelly Reichardt before, Wendy and Lucy, Certain Women... Uh, the most recent one is First Cow, then this is a 100% recommendation. Easy on the cheese. What do you mean? It's for everyone. I don't want to run out. Cheese is out on the table. Showing up is rated M and is a $7.99 digital rental from Apple or Microsoft now. And that's our program for this week. We're playing ourselves out with a song from Wonka. This is Timothy Chalamet singing Hatful of Dreams, written by Neil Hannon. After seven years of life upon the ocean... This week's programme was written and produced by me, Dan Slevin, and engineered by Phil farewell. Benge. This is the last At The Movies and for 2023. I've I hope you have an enjoyable time watching screen song. entertainment of all kinds life in all places during the holidays. Horizon. And I'll be back with the first At The Movies for 2024 on Wednesday the 24th of January. I do hope you'll make a point of joining me for it here on RNZ National. Got a tattered overcoat and battered suitcase Got a pair